I'm Sonny Fono, and this is episode number 21, recording live in my little cubbyhole in Portland, Oregon. What's up? How you doing? I hope everybody's good. We're just kind of cruising along, getting into spring. Got some new merch on the site. You should check it out because I'm pretty proud of it. I started a new thing called Phonographics. I thought that was pretty clever. And I put some shirts and sweaters, and I've got my annual baseball tee. Well, it's like a three-quarter sleeve or whatever, so that's pretty dope. I'm happy just kind of cruising along, spending time with Beatrice, and working, being grateful. So I'm still doing this, episode 21, my good pal, all the way from Cartagena. I keep going with the Enya. I say it wrong. Cartagena, Colombia. You might know him in San Francisco as the frontman for the band La Gente SF. It's Rafael Bustamante Saria. We had a really great talk. He was on the Weird and Wonderful with Brokeout Stewart podcast a couple years ago where we were talking about, you know, some of the political things and our kind our, our views on political stuff so this is really more about his musical journey and man this guy is really knows who he is and i really respect that a lot he knows exactly who he is and when i was talking to him about his story you'll hear in the, in the interview um what inspired him or influenced him at a very young age became what he's really all about he's a super talented dude super positive spirit um and i got to talk to him all the way from colombia and i gotta say i'm kind of jealous i I looked on a map i really didn't know i said so in the interview too i didn't know where cartagena was and then i looked at the map and i was like oh damn of course so i'm hoping that uh if he puts down roots down there, I can go down and visit. And I'm looking forward to hearing more music. He's got an album coming out. Tons of links to check out in the show description, along with a little bio about Rafael himself. Uh, if you've been listening to this show since the beginning, you'll remember that in episode six, I had Monica Maria on. And they have collaborated on a bunch of different music and stuff too. So. Really cool interview, very cool dude, Um, really happy with it. And as I do, when I go into the interview, I play a song. And when I come out of the interview, I play a song. So that's how we do it on Been Doing This, episode 21. Rafael Bustamante Saria, thank you for joining me, brother. And y'all stay safe out there. Peace.
de la ciudad Luchando, trabajando, chicas sin parar Ten fuerza No llores más Morena, bella, linda, gotta keep moving We'll give you living, love it, keep your passion burning Entangled in oceans of yearning Escondida los ojos de tu silencio Yo estoy perdido en tus ojos infinitos La noche almensa que baila en tu cuerpo Siempre Morena el tiempo está cambiando Fish on that. 
All right, welcome back to Been Doing This, episode 21. And joining me all the way from, he'll, he'll have to correct me, Cartagena, Cartagena, Colombia. Is, uh, Cartagena. Say it. Cartagena. Cartagena, Colombia. The second yes. furthest guest I've had. I, I had my buddy uh, Nate Farrow join me from Australia. But uh, say it again so I can say it right. Cartagena. 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 All the way from yeah. Cartagena, <laughs> Colombia. <laughs> and say like Cartagena with an Enya, but it's Cartagena. Yeah, that's just kind of natural English speaking fail. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the way from Colombia. It's my man, Rafael Bustamante Saria. You may have heard him on Weird and Wonderful with Broke Ass Stewart. We were talking about uh, Antifa and terrorists and stuff like that and politics. And he's got strong politics. He's an amazing musician, uh, incredible guitar player fire mc he's fucking got so much energy on stage and uh he's joining me to talk about his musical journey thanks for joining me all the way from colombia man what's up hey man muchisimas gracias really appreciate you you know reaching out to you know independent san francisco born musician back here in my homeland colombia just you know keeping the music going despite this world that's you know broken in every way in this pandemic you know what I'm saying? yeah it's it's pretty crazy like just to think about um how it kind of dropped like a the, the pandemic kind of like dropped like a bomb on certain yeah. urban areas and spread everybody out. So I've been talking to people who I've known from San Francisco who are all over the world now. And I think you're you're the, you're the second furthest interview that I've had. Um, I talked to my buddy yeah. in Australia. He's been down there forever. But um, yeah, you ended up down in Colombia, which we'll get to. Um, you're a San Francisco native. It's a unicorn. Totally. Yeah, it's a I was about to say there's a couple of us left, but there isn't because I ain't even there anymore. Yeah, my mom is from here, from Colombia. And like, yeah, she spent a lot of childhood in Cartagena, Barraquilla. And my dad is from Managua, Nicaragua. And they met in a house party in the mission. Oh, wow. So were they both? Um, wh what were they doing in the States? Uh, my mom came to learn English, basically. And she had some like family emergencies happen here back in Colombia. Her father passed away and she basically got stranded in the U.S., and you just had to kind of like improvise. My dad came when he was like, I think 12 or 13, like his whole family left Manawa and just all moved to the mission district being like, cut all ties, let's just try something else out here. Was that a result of the Contra or the, or the, or the, the war in Nicaragua? Was that before? Yeah, no, this was way before that. Oh, okay. So, well, oh, that was probably in the 60s then, right? Like, we're Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, granted, at that time, it was still under Samosa, like the right-wing U.S.-backed dictatorship. So that definitely was a motivating factor why they're like, we're getting out of here. Like, mm -hmm. So one thing that I had learned, um, I grew up in San Diego. And in San Diego, if you see Latinos, it's almost always Mexicans, right? You're, so sure. it's like, like, I would say 95%, right? Then I moved to the mission when I moved to San Francisco in 2001. And uh, my downstairs neighbors were Nicaraguan. And then the bottom floor on the three-story Victorian, the bottom floor, they were from El, El Salvador. Right. And then next door, the bottom floor were Nicaraguans. And the top floor were El Salvadorians. And I realized that they didn't, they kind of crossed. They didn't talk to each other. And especially during like soccer season and shit, and they would like not fuck with each other. And I was like, Good. oh, I was like, there's so many different types of Latinos here. I, I didn't realize that um, San Francisco had so many different um, people with uh, nations of origin, I guess. Yeah, most definitely. 
So, yeah, so that especially was all- coming up, being half Colombian, half Nicaraguan. You know, I always like I, the name of the new album is probably gonna be Entre los Mundos because my entire like life and childhood was always like one foot in two different worlds, like inside two different universes. So inside Colombia, inside Nicaragua, inside Latino America, inside California, and like in the Bay. Yeah, so it was definitely interesting. Like even just the accents of my parents were so absolutely different. So when I'm talking Spanish, people are like, "Where, where are you from? Like, what? Like, You're the Bay." Yeah. <laughs> so. Were your parents musical? How did you uh, how did you end up starting to get into music? You were you at this at a young age? We're, we're talking about your musical career today on yeah. on this episode. So, were they both musical? They were at a house party in the mission. There was probably dancing happening, like um, yeah, dancing salsa, you know, the stereotype. So, uh, were they were they <laughs> musical folks too, or are they musicians as well? Or how did you how did you first start? <laughs> and what was your first instrument? Uh, both sides of my family definitely have traditions of music. Like my, like my family in Nicaragua, some of them they worked for like the Symphony of Managua, and like my grandpa used to sing boleros. My dad didn't really he loved music, like was obsessed with it. So when I was a kid, he's like, "This is Los Panchos, this is Benny More, this is like Santana." Like so he was, but he didn't necessarily play himself. Just maybe when he had a couple too many shots, he would sing a bolero. And same thing with my mom, like loves music, loves dancing, but she didn't. It skipped her generation as well. But on both sides of my family, yeah, it's full of musicians. Like that's a lot of people I'm collaborating with on here are my cousins who are professional musicians who are touring and recording and shit. Wow. So how old were you when you when you first started taking lessons? Like what what was uh, what were you hearing that made you say, I want to do that? Like I, I want I want to play or I feel like I can make I can make music. I think I don't know, well definitely percussion was the main thing. Cause like in our household, it was like always cumbia, vallenatos, salsa, like soul, funk, and like a little bit of San Francisco psychedelic rock just because we're in the Bay, like, you know, Jefferson Airplane and, you know, Blue Cheer and all that stuff. So I would just like, you know, play a little bit of percussion. And then at one point I decided, I don't know why, like I want to play saxophone. I saw this homeless dude on Powell Street and Market when I was a young kid, just ripping it. And I was like, I want to be that when I grow up. My parents were all, <laughs> so my, my grandma like, you know, hock some stuff and got me like a little saxophone and that's why I started. And so I was, did you, you start in band in like, in like elementary school or you were just kind of blowing on this thing? Just kind of messing around. Like I never really did like bands and stuff that much. I think I did a little bit like an eighth grade, but I pretty much was went the self-taught route. Like I didn't really mess with lessons and all that, just picking up stuff by ear, like playing along with the radio. And my mom had a guitar in the closet. So I just grabbed it and just started like, learning songs just like by ear. Oh, wow, man. So that's junior high. Where'd you go to, where did you, or middle school, where'd you go to middle school in San Francisco? Actually, I went to middle school in the East Bay and like five or six different schools. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was a bad kid. And so, especially like, you know, at the time, San Francisco and the mission, all that, it was just wild out there. So like, yeah, my parents like, brought us to the East Bay to try to get us away from all that. So, but I still was getting in trouble and I was getting kicked out from school to school to school. So I was basically all over the Bay. Okay. Like, like, you know, in Oakland and and Dublin and Richmond and like, you know, Berkeley, all over. Okay. So when did, so you've never taken lessons. You're not trained. You're, you're completely self-taught as far as, your musicianship goes so you picked up a guitar out of the closet were you still playing with both and percussion were you like 
Yeah. Kind of. So you're a yeah. multi instrumentalist still? Would you? Could you still pick up yeah, a saxophone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, my brother played piano, so I would like look over his shoulder, and I like really got into piano and playing like salsa montunos. And basically, I did that for a long time, and then I started writing music, I started performing, started gigging, but then I hit a wall because you realize once you don't have like the language of music. Like I try to explain to my band members, oh, the song goes like this. And they're like, what key is this? What, what are you talking about? Is this the bridge? And I just wouldn't know. So I went to uh, Laney and then SF State to actually study like jazz, classical, West African music, Middle Eastern music and all that. And so when I got back after doing that, it was just so much easier to communicate the language of music and to like, especially because my music is like, let's take a little bit of cumbia, let's take a little bit of this, you know, West African music, let's take some like psychedelic rock, let's take some like deep reggae. And if you don't have that charted out and really explain or have the language to communicate what you're trying to do, like it's a six eight right here that goes over four four, no one's gonna know what you're talking about. You know? Yeah. Okay. So you so you learned theory in college then, like yeah, absolutely. Where you could actually structure things. Um. That's that's really funny because uh, I just had Rojan Hiro from Bionics and uh, he pretty much said the same thing. He was like, I didn't he was like, I would sing with my friends or whatever, but I didn't understand any of that. And I went to San Francisco State and uh, he went through that same program, too. So. Uh, so. When did uh, what was your first band? And what kind of See, music were you doing? Have you, cause, cause you just said what you, what you were listening to at home as far as uh, the cumbia, um, you know, psychedelic rock, funk, and all of that is very much reflected in uh, La Gente's SF's like music. Like that's the best way to describe it. I don't know if you've ever like been talking to somebody and said, oh yeah, my parents were into this. And then you go, well, that's what you're, that's what you do. Right. Oh well, okay. Duh. You know. Um, yeah, duh. <laughs> so, so what was your first band, and, and what were you doing in your first band? And then after college, yeah. how, how did you get into um, forming a band? And when did when did that start? Because La Gente has been around for a, a very long time. Yeah, no doubt, and different incarnations and mutations. Yeah, I started in high school. Like I was sixteen years old. And I just decided, like, I, I was trying to be a visual artist and, like, a poet. And then I was actually just talking to my brother. It's like, dude, man, I love the fact that, you know, the Bay's got, like, you know, our history psychedelic rock. There's, like, Simon Fleming Stone, James Brown, Funk. There's all this new rock happening. There's, like, Musica Latina. Like, man, someone should just put that all together. And my brother's like, why don't you do it? And I was like, all right, cool. And so I just started writing some songs, put a band together. And But then it was definitely a lot more on the, like, reggae, like, psychedelic rock sort of funk. And the Musica Latina, it was just kind of like a piece in there. Like I was sometimes just freestyling Spanish or whatever, but it wasn't like the, 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 the nucleus of it yet. And so I did that for a while and then, you know, just toured around. Then I became like a pickup musician. Like I play bass for this funk band. I play keys for this like cumbia group. And I would do like vocalists for like bass wherever there's a gig. I became like a, a gun for hire. Like I'd play, you know, lead guitar in a country band. like. I started playing all over the Bay until at one point I realized like, I need to make my, like my super group and like kind of poach all my favorite musicians from all these bands. And that's when like the people, which is the early version of La Gente came together. All right. So what year was that? When, when you first did like a La Gente gig, like with the name, uh, I've seen you guys play just like a salsa night too, because so it's not just like, you're just right. doing what you're doing. I've seen you also like, 
oh, well, there's a gig where there's going to be salsa lessons and we're just going to go there and, and do that. So when was when was your first gig at um, as, as La Gente? When did you guys first start? When did you first start performing? What year was that as far as putting it? Well, you said first when we started, we was the people. And then we did that. We had that moniker for a long, long, long time. So we were and that was like when we officially became the people was like, damn, like 2000, 1999, something like that. And then when I moved to Spain, like I like I left like all my band members and I just formed a whole new band out there. And so I was living in Madrid, Barcelona for a while. And we just toured all around Europe for a couple of years. And then when I got back to the States, it just I had like a bunch of different musicians. Like there was this band called Orisha, which now kind of became sort of Bangdata. And so I like poached half of their members and some of my old members from the people and some other musicians. And it just felt weird calling it the people. So I'm like, but it's still my music. So I'm like, let's just call it La Gente. It's a compromise, the same thing. And that was like 2007 around then. All right. So Bang Data. And we'll, we'll get we'll get to that because uh, you have Deuce Eclipse on your new new tune, who's a yeah. local MC Bang Data. And then um, my buddy Michael plays guitar for them. And he he's like one of my favorite guitar players ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and their previous incarnation was uh, Orisha, and Orisha and the people in my previous, we, we played band, like a thousand shows together, we gig all the time, and when Orisha broke up, like kind of Juan Caipo, the drummer, like producer who produced our last two records, he was like, all right, I'm starting this new project, like, you know, Deuce, who, you know, rocks with Zaina, and he like, and I knew Deuce because he's one of the only other Nicaraguan rappers in the Bay, uh -huh. so... Yeah, so then eventually that turned into Bang Dada. But for a minute there, we were like this kind of weird fusion of like La Gente with Odisha. We had the same bass player, you know, Juan on drums. Like, so yeah, it's been. How many you know, former Bayonics do, do you guys do, have you had come through the group? Say again? How many former Bayonics have you had come through the group? I was talking to them about, I was talking to, to Jairo about how many, like, it's also like the B side players in San Diego. And I was just like the third right. episode that I've said. But like um, B-sides busy and they're big and there's a lot of musicians. But if you see them on a Friday and then see them again on a Saturday, it's probably not the same lineup. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's like yeah. they're just grabbing whoever can come rock and they have like this kind of rotation. But they also are like a launch pad for local musicians to kind of like shoot off and start doing their own thing or, or forming their own band. So. How what what would be the max? You guys are big. I've seen I've seen you guys in a formation of like twelve, right? But I've also seen you guys in a formation of like six. Totally. So yeah, I mean, especially when we're touring, like it's always easier to kind of strip it down because you're paying for you know hotel rooms, flights, transportation, making sure everybody gets paid for the gigs and all that. So we like. I mean, five, six, like, I don't like stripping it beyond that because then you lose a lot of, like, the interplay, the syncopation of the musica latina. Like, if they're, 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 the pieces are not there, it doesn't really, like, you know, it doesn't vibe the same way. Oh, wow. But, yeah, I mean, we've gotten up to, like, 13. Or we just did that a show with Awesome Orchestra, and I was, like, you know, like, 50 of them combined with us. So it was, like, a full orchestra and the full band. So it definitely it, it morphs depending on what's needed. Okay, so when did you guys cut your first record? Uh, as you, people, you've never really, you've never really been known in San Francisco, to my knowledge, as like a solo artist. Although you might be writing a lot of the the stuff for La Gente or yeah. the people, um, it you always kind of put the group 
moniker and the group name on it more so than yeah, taking the personal personal credit for it um so i've never seen you release like a solo record mm -hmm. um so when, when did you put out your like first album was it the people yeah it was under i mean with my high school band and stuff like that you know we put out some little demos like, and stuff made some demos like that but our first like album was i think that was about 2001 2002 it was called we put it at sf state because that's where it was at the time and we called it a birth of a nation based after that horrible last movie because it was like politics talking about like the roots of what is u.s identity imperialism white supremacy we were already on that tip and so like yeah the idea of that was you know, people try to rewrite history that here's oh here's what the u.s is about and that point is like if you see that movie birth of a nation it's actually an accurate, accurate representation of what the u.s is all about so the whole uh -huh. so i was talking about what are the roots of the birth of this nation and that so that was like in 2002 and along the way like like you were saying i had a lot of different producers different managers be like man you should just it should be enough it's way easier to sell you should just do it like that but for some reason i always I prefer the, the collaborative idea, like let's make a collective of musicians and artists. And even if I'm writing the music and like writing the concept, I, I always prefer that like that umbrella, like the people like hint their power to the people instead of just being like me. Because self-promotion, I mean, you know, as an independent artist, as you know, it's already weird to promote yourself. Yeah. And it just feels like an extra level of just like, I don't know, a disconnection that I never really enjoyed as much being like Rafa, check out Rafa. Whereas like check out La Gente SF, man, like feels better to me. Yeah, and it just kind of casts a wider net because you'll have more people working yeah. on promoting it, everybody who's playing on it, you know. Um mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's different, I think, as you know, just being a myself just being a DJ, it's I'm just doing this. It's weird though. Anytime I print something, yeah. I'm screen printing shit. But if I put my name on, I feel weird about it. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, people, people want to wear that. I don't know. So I try to think of something uh, different to do about it. But um, getting back to that first that first record, that's kind of a, a good uh, pivot because a lot of your um, lyrics and content have to do with um, either like some sort of politics or some sort of uh group consciousness it seems thematic from all the way to the beginning of your stuff what when you were a kid was tell me what you felt when you heard rage against the machine and like people Ooh. of the sun and those was that influential on you or were you already kind of politically active as far as like oh i can put this into my music were you already going to do that did that come from a, a punk scene or is that something that's already in latino music historically where yeah, carrying I mean, out a tradition so yeah rage against the machine like i, I loved it like immediately because i already was like really into hardcore and hip-hop and like you said like the, the anarchists and the anti-fascists of like the punk rock scene i was like definitely tied up with them and i already was an activist and also because being you know colombian nicaraguan like so much of the problems that happened in Colombia and Nicaragua were direct results of US imperialism. Like the whole, the Sandinistas, Somoza, the Contra Revolution, like all that stuff happened because of the US. And if you know even this much about your heritage as a Latino immigrant, you're gonna see the US's hands in everything. Uh -huh. And also then like early, cause I'm, a lot of my heritage is uh, indigenous. 
And so like same thing, if you read anything about like the history of indigenous people in Las Americas, especially in the United States, you know, that there's no way you can't become radicalized, become political. And so, yeah, there's a lot of like a Latino artists who are already like kind of pushing that. And then, you know, Rage Against Machine, hip hop, Dead Prez dropped around that time too. I loved KRS-One. It's, it just seemed like a natural fusion that I was already an activist, you know, going to marches and organizing, going to meetings, like to whoever was not anti-fascist, whether it be, you know, communist, socialist, whatever, it's just like, and so it, it was a natural, like, and once I start writing songs, that's what I'm going to talk about. So the, the, the music was just kind of a, a way for, for the message. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like in a, in a tradition. Cause that's, that's something, I mean, that's something that I realize, at least from what I can understand, because I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, but in the right. English, English lyrics that you're, that you're using, I would say like a good 80% of your songs have some sort of content to them that has to do with either resistance or just kind of like uprising. And like, I think the whole vibe of the name of the group and the way that you're doing things is very much of a communal, communal thing. Yeah. Um, like I said, you're not taking trying to take too much personal credit for for putting out a record because you understand that it's a collaborative issue. But that's also true for getting free, you know, and that's something that's knowing you um, has been important to you. So would you say about 80 percent of your stuff has something to do with, with with a political content or like how do you balance that out with with because I I know that my job is to let people have somewhere where they can release and mm -hmm. have fun and do their thing and right. not worry too much about everything. Like I'm time off performer, like, Hey, let's party, right. shake your ass, get, get drunk, do your thing, do whatever. Right. If I can sneak in a song with a message here and there, like I'll, I definitely yeah. will take that every opportunity, but also putting too much conscious, content on the dance floor can kind of like kill a vibe so how do you strike that balance where you're like the music is upbeat it's definitely dance music mm -hmm. in, in a lot of aspects it's definitely high energy how do you strike that balance and say okay well actually i'm gonna write a song that isn't talking about like major injustices or, right. or something? <laughs> you know um like do you have to like kind of govern yourself into like oh wait i'm gonna do a song that is not about uh, right. Yeah, I think, especially when I first started writing tunes, I took a lot of inspiration from Jamaica because a lot of like dance hall, a lot of like roots reggae, they had they strike that beautiful balance of like it's fun, like you're fucking grooving, it's it's like you're feeling it, it's Caribbean. And sometimes they're talking about intense political issues, starvation, war, you know, white supremacy and all that. Right. And yeah, it's definitely like I like I wouldn't say 80% of my stuff is all just strictly political. But definitely, I like talk about issues, you know, whether it be, you know, culture, whether it be just survival, resistance. And I feel also like celebrating your culture and being proud of your culture and proud of your heritage and proud of like your roots and your struggle, even if it isn't necessarily overtly political, I think that is inherently political, you know? And I feel like that's what my, like I tried, like the, for example, our first video we released like right before the one we're about to drop is a Morena. And when I originally was writing the song, my thought was, like writing a song about my grandmother, 
like coming from Nicaragua and then coming to San Francisco and just her struggle as like, you know, Afro-Latina, black woman, Spanish speaking, just what she dealt with in like her struggle and her fire. And then as this, the song kind of went on, it just like started grooving more and I realized like, ah, it's more than just like a revolutionary abuela, even though it still is, but it's yeah. also about how we celebrate music. We celebrate divine feminine. We celebrate just like moving and dancing to it. And just like, I like, you know, yeah, it's it's a tough balance though. Like I definitely, I, I juggle that all the time. Like even our new song that, or like the new video about to make Suave Tona, the chorus is just talking about like, you know, just move it, have a good time, fucking one love, chill. But even then, like I found a way that I end up talking about, you know, I don't like, you, you, got, you got to inject the message of the time, you know, and and yeah. and, and what is like pe people's condition. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to uh, to put it in because people will dance, you know, in my experience and especially around the time 2000, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, when I really first started working, um, you know, there's that reggaeton police and helicopters and people are dancing to we're going to burn down the cane fields, you know, and you know, that, I was like, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> and then um, the, the Jamaica is a huge inspiration for me with finding that also just lyrically how sometimes the songs won't have that many words, even like a good dancehall song, they'll repeat certain verses like a chant. So you hear it again and again. And it's like everyone gets down to it. But if you listen to it, they're talking about like revolution, like crazy aggressive burning and a looting. You know? Yeah. And <laughs> so then, I like, that's the lyrical idea. You brought up dead prez and people will dance to bigger than hip hop still. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I was listening yeah. to a podcast. He was like, it's three notes. Like Stickman just was like fucking with a keyboard on ASR 10 and he was like, mm, mm, and he was like just fucking around. And it was one of those cases where also like De La Souls, me, myself and I, where they're like, we need a radio song. And right. uh, he he made it the baseline and everybody, he was like, I'm just fucking around and everybody loved it. And it turned out to be like, like their jam. But I'm just saying like, you can apply like revolutionary music to a dance hall um you know a dance situation so the more the more i think about it especially in jamaican music it's it, it's almost necessary right because that is you know real that's like revolutionary music so that that's that's why they you have such a it's not surprising to me but you have such a vast um tradition of so using music to you know speak truth to power and stuff so 2007 you guys put out a record right that's when i got back from spain and we okay, rebranded so, it. So let's talk about spain just real quick you're as a guitarist were you already uh flamenco versed and having that having that sound how, how much cross from the diaspora and the colonized peoples and and local Spanish music, how much does it cross over and in Spain? Right. right? And then were you already yeah. playing flamenco and did you did you pick that up while you were out there? That Honestly, like before I moved to Spain, I didn't play any flamenco bulería, nothing. I played strictly musica latina, which is why the phrase Latin music is not quite accurate because people think that includes flamenco in Spain, like musica latina, lat, like as, it's music here, Afro-Caribbean 
indigenous like salsa, cumbia, samba, merengue, champeta, you know, and whereas Spanish music is something totally different. That has nothing to, like there. Of course, there's some crossover because we were colonized by them. That's but, what you know, I'm saying. Yeah. And so even when I was in Spain, like I definitely I would hang out with like in some Roma bars, you know, like they sometimes call it Gitano, but they don't all like that term. So I'll stick to Roma. And I definitely picked up a few licks. But honestly, that's never really been a, a big influence in my music. Like I'm strictly Caribbean is where I come from, for sure. And at the time when I was in Spain, like they like Musica Latina hadn't really hit yet. Like cumbia, salsa, reggaeton. It was not really like common there at the time. Like it was kind of creeping up, but not really. They had their own thing. So anytime I'd play a show and we would start with like a cumbia or I just start freestyling Spanish, people would be like, what is this? They'd be tripped out. So we were like the novelty group because there was really no one else at the time doing anything like that, at least that I came across in Madrid. I mean, there was a couple like straight up like groups of Cubans playing Cuban song and Cuban salsa. But as far as like original singer songwriters fusing Influence Latino America. There was like Mano Chao, and you know that was. Is it. he Spanish? <laughs> he's yeah. He's originally uh, from I believe he lives in Barcelona now. I'm not sure if he's Catalan, but he moved to Latino America and recorded a bunch of stuff in Brazil and Mexico, and that's when he blew up. Oh, okay, I, I I was unclear. I, I like his music, but I I thought he was diaspora as well. Um, yeah. So you come back. You come back from Spain, mm-hmm. and. You're you're back in San Francisco, and yeah. you, you guys are you guys are hardworking. You guys are gigging, doing carnival, doing the street the street fairs and stuff like that. Um, I mean, what what happened? Like, what for for that like decade, pretty much from 2007 to 2017. I think you put out another record in 2017. Yeah, well, we had when we got back, we kind of were still. When I was gone, I was already still refining it, the album, which we finally finished. I got back, and that was Si Se Puede. And then the last one we put out was uh, Borderless, which is the one I'm most proud of, where I feel it's like the the summation of like all the that decade after I got back of just gigging and all that. But yeah, but basically, once I got back, you know, like I said, I met up with uh, Juan Caipo, who Odisha was over, and he hadn't quite done Bangdada yet. And like I felt like the version of the people that was there before is kind of gone, so we came together and formed the new La Gente. And yeah, and then we put out like, you know, a lot of live albums at that time, because we were just gigging, festivals, tours, travel, gigging. And so we put just a shit ton of live material. And we kept trying to like capture that sound, but I was still kind of refining what my sound was. And like musicians were coming in and out of the project. So it wasn't until we released Borderless, the last record, where I really felt like, all right, this is the summation of that sound I was looking for. You know, so it took 30 years to get there pretty much. Right. Like from, from Absolutely, yeah. started out. And what, what's also really interesting is that um, for me, um, I mean, I grew up in a Mexican neighborhood, so I would hear like the rancheras and the mariachi and a little bit of cumbia stuff. And, you know, I, I was exposed to it um, later on cumbia at quince's and stuff, you know, because I always be trying to crash the quince's. Um, right. <laughs> so but there wasn't really a ton of representation of musica latino um in main in the mainstream right. so so for you to be able to kind of like forge this sound collaboratively there wasn't any kind of like you know if i wanted to 
do rap, I could look at, at the Beastie Boys and see somebody that looked like me that is doing something, right. right? Or punk rock music or whatever. There's always something for me as a white dude that I could be like, oh, I could do that because these guys do it, you know? Whereas in the mainstream, it's uh, it wasn't available, but there's kind of like a subculture mainstream of musica Latina and stuff like that. So to draw those influences, was that straight from your parents' record collection and and kind of your local community and seeing people working in the mission and stuff like? Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, like I said, it wasn't on yeah. MTV. What Gloria, like Miami Sound Machine. Right. We said basically, even though like Caribbean music and Musica Latina, it is so present in so much of popular music in the U.S. and always has been like just down to like New Orleans. Like oh. if you walk around downtown Cartagena, it looks exactly like downtown New Orleans because the Spanish built Cartagena, the Spanish Caribbean Afro empire, and then went to New Orleans and built New Orleans. Like people think New Orleans was built by the French. It was built by the, the Spanish Caribbean empire. Same thing with San Juan. So even jazz, you know, so brass band, blues, all that comes from the same roots as cumbia, salsa, son, reggae, calypso, it all comes to the same thing. And, but, but as far as the mainstream, as far as representation, there was like Santana, you know, Gloria Stefan, Selena kind of bubbled up a little bit. Oh, she's, but I mean, she's La Reina, but, but then I was talking to uh, Filthy Drones in the last episode, and we also, I brought up Desi Arnaz, was kind of like in the, right. the first time that people were like, oh, there could be like professional Latino musicians, you know, like in America, yeah. like on the mainstream where they were like, oh shit. So he got, he got platformed somehow. Um, yeah. And even like Dizzy Gillespie, one of his biggest hits of his career was Manteca, which is basically like a mambo and his conga player who is from Cuba is the one who wrote the song. So like, it's always been there, but like you said, as far as like seeing this is a Latino, playing Latino music, like they always kept us sectioned off, you know, right. and like they didn't quite give us that. Like I remember when reggaeton first hit in Miami and New York, like Tego Calderon, Daddy Yankee and all that. And for a minute there, the radio stations were starting to play like hip hop, reggaeton, and like Sean Paul was all starting to like get mixed up and reggaeton was starting to blow up. And then immediately the radio station said like, all right, let's make a new radio station with just reggaeton and keep that away from the hip hop community. Like there was, I remember it was as clear as day, like one day you're listening to the radio on a Friday night and like Gasolina was right next to, you know, 50 Cent or whatever like that. And then overnight, reggaeton gets like separated completely. And so for me, it was rough. Like, I mean, we were talking to Atlanta Gregors at one point and they're like, all right, so is this a reggae thing? Is this like a Latin thing? Is this a rock thing? And we're like, nah, it's all that. They're like, well, what language is the songs? I'm like, both, English, Spanish, Patois, whatever. And they're like, nah, you gotta choose one. We're like, what? And then we kept getting running into that, even booking festivals. They're like, they what, like what bin do we put you in? Yeah, exactly. And with festivals too, man, it was rough because they would say like, is this a hip hop thing? Is this a Latin music thing? So after a while, we just took the moniker world music, which I don't really like that much, but at least it's easy for people to understand. Like we're taking all these influences and we're doing it our own way. Right. Because like, I mean, our music, it's deeply rooted in, like in Colombia music. But when we play here in Colombia, like we did the last time we was here, people were like, oh, cool. This is different. This is, we yeah, recognize. Like, you guys are, you guys are Americans. 
Well, I mean, we're all Americans. Well, I'm saying like, like they, they say you're from the States. Like this is like yeah, definitely exactly. the influence. This channel is Brazil, it's Colombia, it's Canada, it's the United States. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, it gets totally misused all the time and it pisses off everybody else in <laughs> Las Americas, especially in this trip. Like anytime you hear America it means all of America. If you use America, just refer to the US, you're shitting on people. They're like, the fuck? I know, know better. I know better, but I'm glad I said it so that you could say so because it's something that's, <laughs> definitely, that's a drum that you, that you definitely bang and I'm, I'm on board. So I know better. So I apologize. It's all good, man. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is they're like, oh, you're from the States. Like, I mean, I would love to come down there someday. I, I think it's got to be kind of bittersweet. And we'll get to how you got down there in just sure. a few minutes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that the in the last five years, ironically, as the United States implemented all of these immigration laws that were really oppressive, mm -hmm. um, you also saw on the radio, you see Ed Sheeran doing like a dance hall song with totally. Shape of You. And then like J Balvin and Bad Bunny are like multi-platinum. Right. Um, musical Latino. I mean, that shit is and everybody's using it. Dua Lipa's doing Latin songs. It's Latin music, you know? Totally. But even just like, you know, I love it when you call me senorita, like this, they're realizing, oh, wait a second, there's this huge demographic of Latinos. And also there's this Caribbean, you know, whether it be dancehall, reggaeton, salsa, cumbia, that they, everyone just loves. Like we play in the Bay sometimes and like half the crowd people didn't speak Spanish. They'd be like, morena, morena, I just feel it. And so I think the industry is finally realizing, oh wait, this like community and this sound that we've been trying to like push off to the side, like people want it and they're getting down to it. It's, it's too bad that they have to gatekeep that shit though, you know? And I think right. that now with digital platforms, you probably have a better opportunity to at least make a meal off of your music than when you were dependent on corporate distribution, you know, right. um, sites like Bandcamp or even just getting it out on SoundCloud, you know, it just takes one one time for some people, the people to decide that they want to support something. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, I almost feel like like the music that I've been doing for a long time and the position I was holding has been verified because I kept saying like people want to hear all these these styles together and they want to hear it in our specific Bay Area way because we're not playing rock music like folks are here. We're not playing musica Latina exactly like Latin America. We're doing our own thing. And I got so much pushback for years and years. And I feel like now the world is finally coming around. So I definitely feel like, you know, like I'm not verified not the way I'm looking for, but like that it's what I've been saying since day one. And it's just cool now that people are finally starting to recognize that. Have you played any hyphy tunes live? Like got your band to do like feeling myself, like the beat or anything like that? Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've caught you guys on pretty kind of straightforward sets. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Where you, you haven't really broke that down. I, I want to see you guys play like, how long, how long of a show do you think that with a couple of rehearsals, do you think that you could probably put together? Probably like two or three hours. Yeah. More than that. Yeah, we've yeah. done some gigs or like festival gigs, especially for a while. We used to like gig like once a month at the Boom Boom Room. And granted, that's, there's hell of problems with the Boom Boom Room. So exactly. I'm not endorsing that spot right now. But I say and the one cool thing about it was they would let you play after hours. So we go on like at midnight and play till five in the morning sometimes to go at 11 and just we play hours and hours. And it used to be like even back in the day when we first started in 2000, we would always have like 
whatever was the the hop like hip hop tune, like whether it be like E40 or whatever, and we just do like a live band arrangement and maybe like add like a merengue or something on top of it. And that's kind of something we've always continued doing, and especially like throwing up the hyphy stuff, like whether it be Mac Dre, you know, E40, all that stuff. Like I love doing that. It's just when we like fuse it with some other like styles, like oh hell yeah, hip hop. Barry hip hop is a foundation just as much as regular cumbia for me for everything I do. When was when was your last gig as a band? Since we're a year into COVID right now, when was when was your yeah. last gig? And then what was your first cancellation? Huh. I think my last gig was actually a solo gig. That there's this a uh, this market of uh, what's it called? Man, and basically I used to play like once a month in Berkeley. It'd just be me with my guitar and a microphone. I just like sing some hente songs. It'd be sorry, there's hella noise. It's all good. And I remember the last one I played was like damn near a few days before the uh, this the the sit and plays happened or stay at home and all that. And so already it was like a ghost town. There was like barely anybody there, and it was like we knew the shit was about to drop. And I, I remember that same week we had like tours booked here in Colombia. We had tours booked in Texas. We were gonna go back to Spain. We had shit up north. We were going back to New Orleans. We had all these festivals lined up for all 2020. And within like a week and a half to two weeks, every single one was canceled. Like it was, I mean, that was the most stressful time of this whole pandemic. And we were supposed to uh, headline the chapel with Barrio Manush was supposed to be the supporting act. And I love that group. And yeah, and we, we kept like debating, like, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? I don't know. What do you think? How bad is this going to get? And once you realize like, no, this shit's here to stay. Yeah, it was like a year, a couple years worth of bookings just all disappeared overnight. Yeah, same, same thing. So that was uh, all within a week. And then, so you stuck it out. I tried to stick it out in the Bay. Um, I was up in Sacramento and um, I was trying to stick it out in the Bay. I was kind of coming back and forth and bouncing around and um, and it just became untenable. There was no work. Um, it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so how did you stick it out and survive it? Like, like you've been recording. Um, also, so how are you doing that? You have a, do you have a whole new album prepared to go out? I know that you're releasing a video in the spring. Yeah, so you, yeah. Well, actually, you already had an album in the can and it, you're just mastering it this year. Have you been recording and, and doing like, you go in and record something or are you are you doing like distance collaboration what's going on what have you been doing for the last year where well when the, the shit first hit my first thought was like all right let's try this live stream so i said every sunday i'm gonna do yeah. like just a solo live stream and i did that for 18 weeks like every sunday playing like two or three hours and initially it actually was cool because you know everybody was you know, feeling like the, the compassion for all of us artists. And also there's a lot of people who already had tickets to our shows and they got the refunds, you know, for all these different events and festivals and shit we were supposed to play. So they just said, hey, I'm just gonna send you the money I was gonna use on that, that show anyway, and I'm gonna watch you on the live stream. And so for a while, I was actually like making good money on the, the last stream. People were mad generous, like my, my community supported me, people were, you know, using Venmo and all that. And then at a certain point, it's just like when the pandemic kept rolling on, I realized this is not sustainable. Like I can't live in San Francisco after this because they just started being less and less and less. So then I got like a frontline, you know, essential job at like my girl, her side hustle was at a, working at, like a little corner store bodega, like high-end grocery store, like cheese shop. So I just started working five, six days a week there and just trying to like grind it through. I was like, maybe like 
I can do this for a while, and, you know, at least so I can pay my rent so I ain't broke. And then hopefully things will bounce back and like, you know, things go back to normal. But once I realized like this is ain't going anywhere and I was working five, six days a week and making half of what I was making as a musician. So I realized at a certain point, like, why am I hustling to lose money here in a city that's my industry is gone? You know, so then my band, we got so hella frustrated. We started meeting up in my conga players backyard. We'd all be 10 feet from each other wearing masks. And we're like, we can't gig. Let's let's record an album. Let's just do so. I just self-financed it out of like just my pockets, my savings. And we just like we already had songs that we'd kind of been gigging with, but they were sort of loose. And we just grinded. We met up once a week and just in this backyard, even with the sky full of smoke when the all San Francisco was on fire, wearing masks. And then uh went we went to Women's Audio Mission and we recorded bass, drums, congas, all the, the percussion. So all of the, basically the foundation of these five songs are good to go. And I'm here in Colombia and I'm going to be meeting up with some of the Champeta producers and I'm going to record all the guitars as well get some guest musicians, guest percussionists here from Colombia to be on it. And eventually I'm going to link back up with my keyboard player in San Francisco. He's going to record the keyboards and also vocals. Monica and me are going to do the vocals. And my, our clarinet player, Morgan, she's in New Mexico, but she's going to send her stuff from there. So it's it's just an ongoing process. Like if we can't gig, we got to stay creative. We got to keep inspired. So that's why I started making music videos. I'm like, I might as well get directing videos. And you yeah. know, yeah, it's good to have that content. Um, shout out Monica Maria. She was episode six of this of this show um, way Hell back yeah. last year in, in May. So um, yeah, she's incredible. I told her her record, her album changed my life. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the just the song Nuevos Caminos, like I'm wide awake and I'm listening, and I was just like I was in a transformational stage, um, kind of oh, coming yeah. coming through my sobriety, and um, I had a, uh, I was like, oh, well, um, not to get too too weird about it, but um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they guarantee like a spiritual awakening, and I feel mm -hmm. like her song kind of like kicked that up for me, where I was like. Oh, I'm here, and I'd finally like come yeah. down into my body um, to to be able to do what I'm doing. So I, I feel you on the super hustle. Was it part of your plan always to move to Colombia? Um, when did you? You're not. I, I know you're temporarily down there, but uh, mm -hmm. when had you decided that you were going to do this um, with your album with the with the remainder of the album? You got your five tunes kind of like ironed out in the Bay. And then did you know ahead of time that you were going to end up in Colombia or was this part of the plan or did you just kind of like go, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Honestly, like initially when we started recording the album, we were just was like, we were all just frustrated. We were, you know, cotton doors, we were all broke. We couldn't gig. So we were like, we just needed something creative to do some outlet. So we, at least we're, even if we can't like be within 10 feet of each other, at least we could play some music and express everything that's going on. Because, you know, with, that's the one thing I say of the upside of this pandemic is when's the last time like all the world capitalism was grind to a halt and forced people to reflect themselves. You don't have the distractions of sports. You don't have the distractions of like the regular world, the hustle and bustle. It's like, what do you got? And so I feel it's actually a cool, moment of awakening and self-reflection. So we're like, we want to do something with this. We want to take all the shit we're feeling and put it into something. And so initially I was, I thought I was going to record and complete the entire album there in the Bay and then put it out. Like that, that was the whole plan. Even if it's just online, let's just do it. But then when I realized just like, 
it, it was just unsustainable. Like we were in purple tier in San Francisco, like friends and family were getting sick and passing away left and right. And I just realized like, it just, it wasn't worth it. Like what, what the hell was I doing there? Like, I mean, already before the pandemic, I was already considering leaving the Bay and leaving the United States. I just was over the United States and we're considering back to Spain, Colombia, you know, mix it up. And once this happened, it was like, it just reminded me of everything that is wrong systemically with the United States and culturally and politically that I'm like, let me get the hell out. So it just actually, it worked out like kind of as a happy accident that like I was talking to my tia here in Colombia and every time I talked to her, she would always say, hey, why don't you just come stay with us for a while? Like come visit. And then I was telling her about things are really bad in San Francisco right now. I don't know. And she's like, why don't you just come here as long as you want? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like packed up my apartment, you know, let everything go and like, and then head down here to Colombia. And it just happened to work out that we're playing a lot of champeta, which is the you know, specific style of music here from Cartagena and cumbia and all that. So it just makes perfect sense that like, as I'm finishing the lyrics and the arrangements and collaborating with artists that I do it here where this music was born. It just, it's, it's perfect synchronicity. You know, I couldn't have planned it. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And like, yeah, it's like, just even the climate change and the vibe and and that, you know, it's gotta be a little bit bittersweet that you can't enjoy everything that has to offer in normal times and it, you know, yeah, non-pandemic times. I, I think that goes for anybody going anywhere. But yeah. at, at least you're somewhere, you know, with your roots. Do you have do you have multi-citizenship or you just down there on a passport and just gonna wing it? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have Colombian citizenship. Like my parents when I was a kid, they had the option of that, but they never quite set it up. And I should have done it years ago, but just never did. So yeah, I have to be back in the Bay in May because actually my passport's about to expire. So I got to get that renewed. And while I'm there, I'm going to like finish tracking the, the keyboards and, you know, and the vocals of Monica and all that. And then we'll see what happens, you know? Do you have a release date for the whole record or are you just kind of when it's done, it's done? When it's done, it's done. Yeah, exactly. I feel like in the past we've rushed records and you know, that's the thing about like, you can play a million shows and only the people who are at those shows remember it, you know, but when you put something on, you know, a record, when you put it out, it's actually, you're not just spinning wheels, you're putting something out. And so like, uh -huh. I want to make sure it sounds exactly how it needs to sound. You know, I'm not rushing nothing. Yeah. I've been, um, I've been just throwing up demo beats on the Patreon. It's like, this is definitely not something to sell. But I just want to show right. people my 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 process and like and progress, you know, like where things improve and get feedback and stuff. And that's that's been fun. That's been something like you said, taking advantage of this time. Like I have time off where I would normally be doing some sort of uh, supplementary nine to five or hustle yeah. or something like that, where I kind of filled my time in with like makes I, my, my my new mantra is make something rad every day. And that's if it's something to eat, if it's a song, a mixtape. Um, a podcast, whatever it is, I'm trying to like make something rad that is like me so that like if something happens to me that, you know, my daughter can look back and, and she'll have all these digital files that's kind of like her father's spirit and, and work ethic in one place, you know, so that's been like a blessing. That's been one of the blessings of, of this pandemic, you know, like rest in peace, of course, to everybody who's passed and, and of course, you know, of course, everybody that's suffering economically because of, of capitalism and, and how, how this is set up to fail so terribly. Um, yeah. at, at the same time, it's given a lot of people who've struggled 
for a long time a little bit of slack to kind of do what they're supposed to do with themselves you know if they Absolutely. if they choose to seize that opportunity you know um and there's there's plenty of things in the way like san francisco rent right or mm -hmm. you know there, there's definitely barriers to to that but as creatives i feel like it kind of leveled out the the playing field a little bit where you know uh creatives and artists who struggle to get by monetarily because they choose this path or the path chose them you know as artists or musicians in general you know it's like you to the rest of society it might not be a legitimate um profession unless you've like made it on some sort of like acceptable cultural like classes mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. until they need you for something and want to lowball you for <laughs> for, for your service yeah. but it's not but then all of a sudden all these people got laid off and everybody's kind of like even everybody's on unemployment everybody's on food stamps you know at least here in the states mm -hmm. you know it kind of leveled out the playing field where it's like well what you were doing wasn't all that important either right or what that wasn't a real job you know and people that were like doing tech jobs that got laid off unceremoniously just kind of like lit, left in the wind i'm like was that mm -hmm. a real, was that a real job you told me to get a real job you know right was what what was was what you were doing a real job so it's it's just been a real interesting time and uh yeah, I'm glad I, mean, that honestly, I definitely feel that because like we've been for them on 2020 we had all these tours playing we we're supposed to like tour the world we had all these festivals and i was hell excited about that but we would never would have recorded this album if that would have been the case and that's the thing it's like a lot of musicians in the bay you play in multiple groups a lot of them do anyway and you have your three side hustles just to squeeze by and when i'm talking about successful musicians musicians who sell out you know the independent and slims and play these big festivals a lot of them still have like these hardcore side hustles or full-time jobs on top of that and so for me it's been a blessing in a weird way because we weren't on tour because we weren't doing these festivals i actually was like hey let's record something let's put a new album out let me like it also i've been sitting on all this footage for these uh, these music videos for the last record and i would never have time to do that like because just there wasn't time we were just grinding 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 just to survive and not thrive just survive in the bay area barely and that, survive. that kind of mentality i can't fuck with anymore you know yeah and, and then you'd say hey you know it's a struggle and they took get a real job and you're like what the fuck you think i'm doing and like a lot of yeah. a, a lot of musicians professional musicians that i know in the bay a lot of them i'm not going to throw out a percentage because i don't know for sure but a lot of them are fucking school teachers yeah you know, that's their real job and they're saying oh, i'm still struggling to get by well get a real job well i work i work fucking 50 hours a week coming out of pocket to buy my kids instruments what the fuck are you talking about it's just yeah the logic is so fucked up and i was hoping for like a little bit more of a uh an awakening but i guess time will tell if people want to kind of see things for what they are it seems like after the election everybody's willing to kind of turn a blind eye to right. what capitalism's doing to us um mm -hmm. and that you know both parties aren't don't give a fuck so yeah i don't know <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, i'm a little bit i do i do have some envy that you're there i'm like fuck like that's somewhere i never even thought to go mm -hmm. and then like you you told me you were going there and i like admittedly did not have a geographical sense of exactly where that was and then i looked it up on the map and i was like fuck yeah that's what i want to go there like that, <laughs> that that sounds great 
So yeah, like I said, I, I keep getting this like survivor's guilt sometimes because I'm, you know, I'm here because I was pressed out of the city and I couldn't keep working a frontline essential worker. And like my uncle passed away from COVID, like right towards the end. And then I had multiple like co-workers also catch and just it happened left to right. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? And I'm not coming up and I'm losing money. And so, like, I mean, I, that's why I feel absolutely blessed that, you know, I spent a life as an immigrant getting shit for it. But the upside is I had a place to go. Like, I have family here. I have, like, a support network. And it's it's also a beautiful place. It's compared to, you know, currency. Like, we can live well here and be happy. I mean, seriously, like, what we pay in the United States in San Francisco, like, we spend so much money for one drink, for one meal, for one Uber ride for one water bill and we think it's normal it's not normal like yeah, i've been that's... told to program myself man decentralizing like the u.s like the u.s mentality man like it it's so insidious how even with just the bullshit tabloid and like politics and the news cycles like they keep you in this thing like we're the center of the world and it's bullshit and this is all you have to think about and you're lucky to be here and it's been liberating getting out of that mentality and i don't want to get back in the mentality ever i don't know if that doesn't mean never like permanently live in the United States again, which is a possibility. I, I don't know, but like, it feels like a weight's off my shoulders not being there. Man, I can only imagine. I just moved, like, I just moved another state away. I think, we, I think we've hit a loop on that, but um, yeah, I just moved another state away and it's, yeah. it's incredible being able to have a little bit, you know, left over. So, so the record, what's the, what's the record? When it's ready, what is it? What is it called? Do you have a title? Uh, I'm thinking. Well, there's a song that we've been playing for a while called "Entre dos Mundos," which means in in between two worlds. Oh, yeah. and, perfect. And like I was saying before, how I was always my entire life was in, in between Colombia and Nicaragua, in between the United States and Latin America, in between like you know wealthier family members communities and like poor hood ass you know ratchet communities. And just so I felt like especially since I'm literally recording this album in between these two worlds, like Entre Dos Mundo just seems like the perfect title. Like, and I'm working with uh, uh, Odell Hussey, who's a photographer, he's done a lot of architectural photography. And he also makes this beautiful artwork at collages. And we're working on this idea of like literally having me with my guitar and showing like the Mission District, San Francisco, the downtown, and then always showing the, the Torre Alon, Cartagena, the beaches and like, and have the, a piece of them together. So I think in Thales Mundo is what we're trying to do. And there's still a possibility we might throw in one or two more songs. Cause like now that I'm actually not grinding to survive, like output is like I have so many more songs and lyrics and concepts and ideas and stuff popping out that like I don't know, it's it's a blessing and a curse right now, you know. <laughs> and then um so we're we're gonna go out with uh with a song of your choosing. You send that to me. Um there's going to be links in the show description for all things Rafael and La Gente SF. Um, so, anything else that you want to like promote or or bang on, we'll, we'll put in the show description. One other question I'm very curious about as a as a weddle, um that might not understand such things. Mm -hmm. When you per, when you guys perform, everybody's wearing all white. Mm -hmm. Can can you? Uh, is, is, not there always, a, is there a significance? Yeah, actually, that it's a religious thing, because uh, a lot of people in the group we're we're practitioners of Santeria, and like my conga player, you know Monica as well, and so it, this 
Yeah, it's definitely part of the tradition, part of ceremony. Also, like if you're in a stage in Santeria of like making santo and you're getting more into the tradition, you have to dress all in white for basically a year. And there's all these regulations and things you can do. So I think for us, it just shows that, you know, we're having fun, we're partying, we're making music, getting down, but also there is a cultural, spiritual rooted aspect here that we're representing. And that's why we mix a lot of the, the, the cantos of Orisha, the actual religious music of the tradition into our songs, in the lyrics, in the rhythms. And on the new record, we have a couple of songs where we actually have the bata drums, which are the traditional ceremonial drums of Santeria, and they're being woven into the tracks along with hip hop and cumbia and champeta. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, we're, we're just repping our, our tradition, our spirituality, our culture, our heritage. And the Afro-Latino, like religious and musical presence is so strong. Like Cartagena is a black city. It is 100%. It's like Afro-Latino. And that's why if you listen to this music that all of Latin America loves, you can't deny that it is the fusion of West African music and indigenous Native American music with some colonizers' blood sprinkled on top. You know? Uh huh. Cool. Well, I, I just, I, I've always been curious, so I, I kind of wanted to like ask about that. I hope you don't. I hope you don't mind if I, or I didn't ask about it insensitively. Um, yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, I think it also, if you're from the tradition, like if you practice Santeria or Candomblé or Voodoo, like or we love often enough to come to our immediately recognize like, oh shit, there's, you know, we're connected. And like a lot of the stuff that we wear, like these are my colors of Yamaya on my hat. These, this is also connected to tradition. These are my lekas as well. So, I mean, it's, it's cultural signifiers for us. It just, it is our culture. It's this Latino culture but at the same time we're you know we're repping like as strong as we can yeah cool well you know i mean i've seen you wearing that hat for years or something similar is that the same one no it's a different one <laughs> yeah <laughs> the I, one that, I, I didn't realize that there was a significance to it yeah well this is the most common one and this is called the sombrero volteado and this is like like it's a once again a fusion of Native American art and designs from Colombia, from the Caribbean, with uh, like some West African patterns. And so, like if you're anywhere in the world and you're walking down the street and you see that hat in the crowd, you'd be like, "I hombre, like Colombia." Like it's just it is like the calling part of Colombians. And like if here, if you go like to little fishing villages or you go to the edges, everyone has these because you make them by hand in the reeds. So this is just like. Or if it's Carnaval, you know, in, uh, in Barranquilla, Cartagena, everyone has these. Like, it's the default. That's so, sure. that's so like, rad. <laughs> yeah, that's so rad. You, you don't realize um, sometimes when you see people that you've known for a long time, um, the intention of what they're wearing. Yeah. You know. Um, but it goes back to the same before, that our music, like, it's not always overtly political, but even, like, to what we're wearing, yeah. their statements we made you know <laughs> well man you are you are fucking com completely uh it seems like your your consciousness around uh your identity spiritually musically artistically and politically is all very well tied together i think in this conversation we kind of started out from when you were young and um those things influence you kind of inherently and then it's grown to become what you're really about and i really respect that about you i, I really respect your art and, and i respect your spirit as well man and you're somebody that i i look up to um you're somebody that informs my politics um you know as far as correcting 
certain things from a kind of a white anarchist perspective that can be right. somewhat um, reductive to uh, to other folks from different cultures, you know, um, those types of things. I, I've, I'm always striving to be a better anarchist and, and you've been a guiding light okay. for that. So I, I appreciate you on many different levels. No, and uh, Igor Mentman, I appreciate that. And that's the weird thing. Like, obviously we've been existing in a lot more in social media than we're used to, but like, I, I definitely absolutely appreciate like your uncompromising shit talking voice when it comes to cultural political issues. Like you don't take no shit and you call people out every time. And like, it's, it's hella refreshing, you know? Cause a lot of times like, I hate to say, especially during these Trump years, I've seen a lot of folks who I was convinced were allies of, of immigrant communities, Latinos, or just, you know, and just seeing the, them coming out with this elitist nonsense, conservative, like US mentality. It's, it's, it was eye-opening, man. Like during the Trump years, folks that I thought were totally like down, and even if they're anti-Trump, you realize how so much of that's baked into their DNA. Like I had to cut ties to a lot of folks, man. Yeah, I was like, I was like, hold, hold on, bro. You're like you say you're a revolutionist, but you're like rooting for Bob Mueller and the FBI right now. Like, there's some, there's yeah, a totally. lot, of, <laughs> there's a lot of incongruence. Like you know, like you, you say you know, fuck the police, but then you're saying that you want Trump in jail. Like, which is it? You know? So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been a frustrating alienating thing. I, a lot of people that uh, I talk to personally tell me, you know, that I should, you know, not do so much or not say so much or like, why don't I shut the fuck right. up? Or, you know, there's a, there's a muzzling happening after this last election where they're like, everything's fine now. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not even close and it might get right. worse. They, they, I guess they're gonna have to see it to believe it, you know. And then, and then again, they're gonna say, "You were right." <laughs> That's mm -hmm. so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, in two thousand one, like, Afghanistan, I was like, "They're gonna go to Iraq." No, no, this is just gonna be a quick operation. It's like twenty years later, right. like, "Oh, you were right about that." Yeah, I know. Because there's historical precedents for that shit. Anyways, that's a that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> So, but one last thought on that though, it's like for you know, these, all these years of Trump, we have all these folks being like injustice and close the camps and revolutionary. And then once Trump's out of the way and they don't have like a boogeyman and then you say, hey, this systemic change, let's defund the police, all that. They're like, oh, no, I'm not sure. Which you realize they weren't about ending systemic like inequality and injustice and capitalism and at all they just wanted their little comfortable little symbol day one i mean they thought they were because they're like i don't like trump i'm the good guy right or like but then you realize like but they still they still what i, I lost you but they still will defend the empire they will still defend the greatest country in the world they'll still defend the exploitation of capitalism they will still defend the status quo of all these underclass of private they, they're all about it but they just don't like somebody saying it out loud. They I'm want somebody to you know, diet with it. I'm laughing at I'm laughing at it right now because I could hear somebody go, Oh yeah, well, if you don't like it here so much, why don't you move to Colombia and see how you like it there? I'd be like, Don't Word. mind if I don't mind if I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I was the icing on the cake, man. Like I said, I was already thinking about getting out before, you know. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw a statistic of like um like malnourished children in venezuela is like 13 percent 
mm-hmm. malnourished children in the United States is like 14.9%. I was like, oops, flawed logic. Yeah. And I was like, what if there was no sanctions? Like they would mm-hmm. be doing great, you know? So anyway, like I said, that's a whole nother show, uh, you know, and, yeah. and you speak out on it. And I, I think that, you know, if people end up following you on social media or whatever, they'll kind of get a better idea of what you're about. Um, you know, but I think it's yeah. important to continue to bang that drum as well, because, you know, U.S. imperialism doesn't stop. And Joe Biden and, you Ooh. know, ooh, they can't say all cops are bastards and then, like, you know, celebrate the vice president. That's just, for me, th- yeah. those are things that uh, I'm not, I'm, un- I'm unwilling to compromise. Right. And that's the thing, too, that I was saying, being here in Colombia, like, People have a lot of political discussions. Like it's really common that it, it those companies happen all the time. And for them, it's obvious. Oh, you have two right wing parties. There's Republicans and Democrats in the United States. We see that, and they play against each other, and then they keep the empire going, and then they keep invading countries. Like that it's so obvious. People down here, whereas in the U.S., people are so tribal and blue, no matter who, and this and that, that they can't see beyond that. And whereas I'm talking like uh, you know Colombia, it's not like a third world poor country. It's actually pretty wealthy compared to the rest of South America, but there's still wealth inequality. But even somebody here, random guy on the streets selling coffee can tell you, oh yeah, the US has two neo-fascist parties that kind of, you know, ping pong against each other and they use it so they can get wealthy and exploit people. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, again, I I hope they will uh, continue to trend towards the awakening that's kind of necessary if if we want to... uh, have a better world for the for the next generation but uh absolutely yeah man dude i appreciate you so much and uh yeah we're gonna go out with the songs there anything else you want to say signing off for from from colombia is there anything you want to tell folks yeah, yeah. this is big uh, you know you get a, a like up to a thousand listens in the bay so if there's something you want to say to your people well, one thing, just like obviously, these are these are tough, unprecedented times, and I know people are hustling and people are struggling. But like I said before, this we're at a great cro- uh, a crossroads, an opportunity to make some huge change and shift just in our mentalities and decenter the way that we had been doing things, and to do things in a more, you know, sustainable way of looking at things. And also, one thing I want to say is that. On this new record, we're featuring a lot of uh, champeta, which is a style of music that's here from Cartagena. And it started when, like, basically records from the 50s and 60s from Congo and Nigeria started coming in here to Colombia. And since Cartagena is, like I said, it's an Afro-Latino city, they immediately started listening to all of this West African music and then fusing it with all the, the indigenous Afro-Latino music we already had here, and it became Champeta. And so we're featuring a lot of that on our new record. And it just, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a very natural, powerful, electric fusion that's happening that I don't really hear like a lot in the world. And I'm really looking forward to like putting this amazing champeta, champetu scene here in front of the rest of the world with this new record. And also our new uh, video, Suavetona, featuring Deuce Eclipse from Mangdata, that should be coming out in a couple of weeks. And we're like, we're shooting footage all over. We're gonna shoot some footage up and down all over the city. So we have a, a whole bunch of music videos and new music in the can that we're just gonna keep pushing out. So we're taking this time just to be creative and to do the best we can with the little bit we got, you know? 
Yeah, man. Well, I, I appreciate the spirit and uh, I'm pushing I'm pushing on the same path. So if there's anything else I could ever do for you, you let me know. And uh, as these tunes come out, let me, let me know. Maybe I could uh, try to remix one or something if you want to send me some stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the song that I want to go out with for sure is Suavetona. It's from our last record and it's the new video coming out. And we've already, we have like hours of footage and all over like this area of the Caribbean. And I can't wait to fuse it with our films that we already filmed in San Francisco and some stuff we filmed in Catalonia and Barcelona in solidarity with their struggle going on right now with Pablo Hassel and all that that's happening. So, you know, it's a global movement. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. And yeah, man, it, it definitely is. So man, I appreciate you again so much. Thanks for joining me. And what's the song? Suavetone? Suavetona. Suavetona. Here it is from La Gente SF, all the way from Cartagena, Colombia. <laughs> all right. Thanks, hey, Rafa. I really appreciate, you know, your voice and making time to, to, you know, help me get my word out as well. And just, yeah, please keep doing what you're doing, man. Stay out there. Like, it's the, exactly the kind of voices we need right now. And like, more than ever, man, please. So keep doing your thing. In solidarity, brother. Hey, so. Me gusta mami cuando baile suave tona Tú quieres, quieres que siempre emociona Que San Francisco, Cartagena, Barcelona Me gusta mami cuando baile suave tona Es tan pegajoso pa' todos los colores y amores del mundo Veo sudado con pasión y calentura Cerca mi diosa y baila a tu manera Cantando para mi gente sin papeles y mus Mi bala son palabras con esta que veloz Un día regresas y ya estamos Innovando la gente del mundo está despertando Me gusta mami cuando vale suave tona Quiere que que siempre emociona En San Francisco, Cartagena, Barcelona Me gusta mami cuando vale suave tona Spread across this nation We jump and pop the Spanglish rhythm in this intonation Cause I'm rockin' and kickin' and movin' and rockin' and kickin' and movin' I'm up on the bass and we're gonna win I'm feelin' but some of the people know this is good Go me gusta mami cuando baile suave tona Quiere querer que siempre emociona En San Francisco, Cartagena, Barcelona Me gusta mami cuando baile suave tona Yeah 